Uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you uh, this morning. My thunder was stolen a little bit. I like to generally, when people don't know me, introduce myself as their pastor for the uh, newcomers, but can't do that today. When I fill in for our pastor, uh, Randy Smith, I'll just be like, welcome to those of you who are new. My name is Pastor Randy Smith, but he's a little, he's a little uh, taller than I am, so they know right away that's not the case. Uh, your pastor is an excellent pastor. Um, I just want to encourage you. Daniel, when we get together, I know him through our pastor's breakfast, our pastor's fellowship. He loves you. He thinks biblically about the ministry that's taking place here. He longs for you as individuals and for your church ministry to exalt Christ and to advance the gospel. Uh, You are privileged, you are blessed by God to have the pastor that you have. Uh, I would just be remiss if I didn't say that to you and encourage you in that. So it it truly is a blessing and a privilege uh, to be here to serve you this morning. So with that, why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 17 to 19 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 to 19. And this is what God's Word says. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, Or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life in Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for how it guides us. We thank you for how it is a light and it gives life to those who hear it and heed it. And so we do ask that you would make it clear to us this morning, make the truth of this passage in particular um, understandable to our minds, give us hearts that are eager to accept it, to love it, to believe it, and bodies that are ready to live it out. And as we do that, we do ask that you would just allow us to recognize and to experience the blessings of being shaped by your word. Bless us now as we turn our attention to it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in 1928, Alexander Fleming was researching staph bacteria. And in the process of his research, he goes away for two weeks on vacation. And when he comes back, he looks at the Petri dish and he realizes there's mold in the dish, which is no good. No good if you're doing research, if you're a lab tech, you understand Mold essentially means your whole project is done and you got to start it all over. Except what he also realized is that the bacteria in the Petri dish didn't grow. And so what that did for his research was reshift the focus. He began to research 
mold and its relationship to bacteria, and that's how we came to enjoy penicillin. Penicillin. We understand how shifts in focus can have a big impact in our life, right? Many of you are fit, and if you were to shift your focus in the area of fitness and diet and exercise, you'd begin to look like me, right? Start to develop a gut, you'd begin to get out of shape, it wouldn't be good for you. Some of you are young and you have the opportunity to shift your focus in the area of education and career and working hard in particular areas. And if you were to do that, that could have a massive impact in your career and your ability to uh, make a living and your career, uh, ability to gain wealth. Many of you are dads and moms. If you were to shift your focus slightly you could see how that would make a massive impact in your family and how you lead them and how you care for them. Well, the same thing is true in the area of wealth. Some of us are plagued with a wrong focus when it comes to our wealth. Our focus is how our wealth can bring stability, how it can bring comfort. Some of us are focused on how our wealth can bring us ease, can bring us satisfaction. Some of us are focused on our wealth making us secure for retirement. Some of us are focused on the comfort that it can bring, the fun that it can bring, the rest that it can bring. But you see, focus is so important to the motivation, to the attitude that you bring to the every day of life. And many of us have this fundamental flaw when it comes to our wealth. It's mine. And just glance down now at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19. Because here's what Paul wants us to, to see in the context of wealth. What he says is, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What he wants to do is give us three focus-shifting exhortations in this passage for stewarding God's wealth with eyes to eternity so that we may experience true life. We're going to see three focus-shifting exhortations for stewarding God's wealth with our eyes on eternity so that we take hold of that which is truly life. Now, before we get into um, the passage, let's just understand the context, right? 
Paul is writing this letter, 1 Timothy, to Timothy to give him the responsibilities that he has as a pastor, saying, Timothy, you want to be a faithful pastor? Go into your church and make these the priorities. Take hold of these responsibilities and be faithful with them. He's laid that out for five chapters. He gets to the end of the book in chapter 6, and here's what he's going to say. He's like, all right, there's some pastoral duties that you need to fulfill in the context of shepherding the slaves and the masters that are in your congregation. Tell them this, and it's going to be a blessing to them. They're going to walk in line with the gospel. Now, here are some pitfalls, he's going to say in the beginning of chapter 6, of those who would long to be rich. Those who are not rich, but they see, wow, that looks like a great life, and I would love to have that. Here's what they need to know. Here's a number of pitfalls that they're in danger of falling into. Now, he follows that up by saying, now, Timothy, you take hold of eternal life that transitions right into a doxology. Man, isn't God great. And you would expect 1 Timothy to end there. Goodbye, good night, see you later. We'll talk to you again in 2 Timothy. But he doesn't. He follows that doxology up with our passage right here, saying, okay, hold up, I forgot one thing. It's those who are already rich. Those who are already rich need some words of encouragement. They need some words of exhortation. And here's our passage. And when he gives them those, then he says, okay, now, Timothy, you need to steward this truth faithfully. Now, see you later. We'll chat in 2 Timothy. And so we're in that section where he says, now those who are already rich, here's what they need to know. And he gives them three focus-shifting exhortations for stewarding God's wealth with an eye on eternity so that we can take hold of life now. And the first is in verse 17. Avoid expected temptation. Avoid expected temptation. You see what he says there? Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Now, first thing, he's saying, Timothy, you need to command these things. This is not for you to suggest. This is not like a light suggestion. Here's some cool things that you might want to do. You can kind of take it or leave it. No, he's saying, take this truth and command these people to be doing this because this is what is going to be good for their soul. It's good for their soul. This is command those who are rich. Now, if we're going to talk about wealth and we're talking about rich and those who are wealthy, then we're going to need to define what that term means. And here is a basic working definition. Rich are those who have more than they need. More than they need. And most likely, that puts everybody in this room in that category. We have clothes, we have food, we have shelter. We don't only have clothes. I don't only have clothes. I have clothes not just for every day of the week. I have clothes for different activities during the days of the week. I'll wake up. I'm dressed to go into the garage where I have a gym. Once I work out, I'll come back. I'll change into clothes that I'm going to go to church in, to work in. Then when I get done that, I'll come back home, and I'll change again into clothes that I want to hang out around the house in. I am 
rich. And so Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you need to tell this guy. Number one, don't be haughty. Haughty, proud. It's a combination of, of two words. The first meaning understanding, opinion, judgment. And then the second, high, lifted up, exalted. And what he's saying is, don't get an exalted opinion about yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Because then what? Well, then what you tend to do is to get a lower opinion of the people who are not quite as wealthy as you. You begin to look down on those who don't have as much as you have, who don't drive the same car you drive, live in the same neighborhood that you live, wear the same names that you wear. You begin to look down on them, disrespect them. And instead of having a heart that longs to serve them, you begin to develop and we begin to develop a heart that longs to be served what? By them. Oh, their opinion doesn't matter as much as mine because they're not as wealthy as, as I am. They don't look as nice as I look. They don't live in the same neighborhood that I live in. So their opinion doesn't matter as much as my. He's saying, don't allow yourself to think that way. You're not allowed to look down on those who are lower on the economic ladder than you are. Don't let wealth turn you into a peacock. Because here's what happens. What that demonstrates is an ignorance of the source of that wealth. What that type of heart demonstrates is the ignorance of the source of our wealth. And he's going to get there. So don't be proud. Don't be haughty. Number two, don't set your hope on it. Don't set your hope on it. He says, tell them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now, here's our temptation, right? Our temptation to be proud. And our second temptation is to put all of our hope in it because wealth gives us security. It gives us stability. It gives us pleasure, power, satisfaction. Now, turn to Proverbs 23, verse 4. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Because here's the problem with what Paul's saying. Now, the reality is, is that it, give, it does give us those things. It does give us those things. It does give us stability. We're able to be secure, and we can buy things that do bring satisfaction to us. It's fun to drive those cars. It's nice to live in those neighborhoods. It's, it's very good and comfortable to wear certain types of clothes. It does give us those. But what, is, what does he say? Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of those things. It gives you a level of that. But listen to what Proverbs 23 verse 4 says. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Because of your understanding, because you realize, cease. Do you make your eyes fly up to see it? Ah, but it's not there. Because it certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. As soon as you set your heart, as soon as you set your hope on it, boom, it's gone. And many of you are old enough to 
have experienced that already. You put your investment here and you had a nice big sum of it and then the stock market and you got a lesson. You get an object lesson of what Paul is talking about, what that proverb is talking about, the uncertainty of it. You see, it provides us those things, but it only provides us those things indirectly, indirectly. You see, what Paul is saying is we trust, we, we cannot trust in the thing provided. We have to instead trust in the one who has provided it. We don't trust in the thing provided. We trust in the provider, who is God. You see, when we trust in the thing provided, all that we're demonstrating ourselves to be is that selfish, spoiled child. Goes to the parent, oh, thank you very much, and sets his attention on the thing and the thing and the thing until it's gone. Now it's back to the parent again. Thing, thing, thing. All right, good, good, good. And then it's gone. And there's no attention or no praise, no thanksgiving, no affection toward the one who gave it, only on the thing itself. And then they realize, once it's gone, the disappointment that comes as a result of it. And Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. A right understanding of wealth starts with who gave it and why. Look what he says. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Turn to uh, just back a page, probably, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Because what he says, everything that we have, God has given to us for our enjoyment. And what he's doing here is he's shepherding our hearts to understand Here's how you truly understand. Here's how you truly enjoy the wealth that I have given to you. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. He's talking about the, the false teachers here who, food, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be shared in with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Turn back to 1 Timothy 6. What he's saying is that God is not a killjoy. God's not a killjoy. He's not giving us this passage to say, oh yeah, here's a nice thing of joy. Let me stomp that out. That's not what God intends to do. What God intends to do is say, I am the creator of joy. I am the heightener of joy. I am the one who makes joy as joyful as it could possibly be. When you experience life in the way that I have designed you, in the way that I have designed this world to function, my purpose for you is to experience the joy that I've designed it with. You guys have ever been down to the beach and you have this person that you get the, the two sticks, right? And they have the string connected to the sticks. They dump it into the pail, and then they put it up in the air, and they wave it like this, and it creates this massive bubble. What Paul is saying to Timothy is just help those who are rich to realize putting your hope in that knot, putting, putting your hope in that, 
is like walking around under that bubble hoping that it never pops. It's going to pop. And there's not a whole lot in life that has to happen for it to pop. Why? Because it's very uncertain. Do not put your hope in it. But have you ever watched the Weather Channel? And there's a hurricane coming, coming through or a tornado coming through. And there's this, that big, huge tree that's standing right in the middle of the field. And the storm could rip through there, and that tree just stands and takes the full brunt of the wind and the storm, and when the sun comes back out, it's standing right there with its leaves, with its limbs, with its trunk buried deep into the ground. Paul is saying, that's what it's like to trust in God who has provided you with these riches. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. Here's what I've seen to be good, which is beautiful. To eat, to drink, and to see good in all one's labor in which he labors under the sun during the few days of his life which he's given him, for this is his portion. Furthermore, as for every man whom God has given riches and wealth, he also empowered him to eat from them and to take up his portion and to be glad in his labor. This is the gift of of God, For he will not remember much days of his life because God allows him to occupy himself with the gladness of his heart. This is God's heart toward you and toward your wealth. It's not, oh, you're wealthy? Oh, you must have oppressed somebody. You must have got it wrong. You must have been um, corrupt in order to get it. No, he's saying, I have given you that wealth. And my desire for you in that wealth is that you enjoy it to the fullest. And this is what he's teaching us. Here is how you do that. We want our money and our wealth to bring us joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. God says, me too. And here's how. Avoid these temptations. And number two, and when I was coming up with this outline, I wanted to have something just real um, smart sounding. And so the second point is do a lot of really good things. Do a lot of really good things. A nice, elegant point to go in the outline. Uh, Avoid expected temptation. Do a lot of really good things. We get that from verse 18. He says, command them to do good. Now, grammatically, this word, do good, it's a verb. It's in the present tense, which tells us that this is something that is habitual. This is something that's characteristic. This is something that's a pattern of how we use our wealth. And the word good means fitting. It means beautiful. It means righteous. It means noble and virtuous. What Paul wants us to see is that we have been given wealth in order to do things that aren't just superficial, 
But we've been given wealth in order to do things that are weighty, that are substantial. And he wants us to think in those terms. Find that thing that's just beautiful. It just fits you. It, it's like a, a round hole and a round peg just going right there. It's just perfect. Find those things. Use your wealth for those things. And listen, the temptation is... Be, be super generous, go and do a whole bunch of different good, and then you go home or you listen to the radio on the way home and then there's a prosperity preacher and says, yep, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over this cloth. And if you give me $1,000, I'm going to send it to you. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to be blessed by it. And it's very easy to get fooled into that. This is not what Paul is saying. Don't pray or don't, or don't use your wealth in order to get something back for yourself, right? Use this life as an opportunity to go and plant seeds with your wealth and expect, you got your eyes on eternity, expect your return to get back to you later on after you have completed this life. That's what you want to be using your wealth for. That's how you want to be doing good. Not so that you selfishly get something that you want, but so you can glorify God and do the good to people around you. My grandfather, in the back of his house, uh, back in northern New York, it's north of northern New York, up at the Canadian border, behind his house has a garden about the size of this sanctuary. And in the springtime... Well, you'll see him out there doing, tilling it all up, getting it all ready. It's all brown. There's nothing growing in it except there's rows of different things through the garden. And there he is in the middle of the garden, seeds in his pouch, and he's putting it there, covering up, putting it there, covering up. He's got maybe a little plant. He'll put it here. He'll put it there. He'll put the dirt around it. Here's what he's not thinking. Puts the seed in the ground. Where is the tomatoes? Come on. Seriously. He understands it's springtime. He puts the seed in, covers it up, and he realizes he's not going to harvest anything until fall. What Paul wants us to realize is that our time in this life is our springtime. We have all the opportunity to plant as many seeds as we possibly can. And he says if you plant tons of seeds, then... When you get to eternity, you are going to harvest lots of fruit. But this is what he's telling us. Do good. Make it a habit of your life. And what's going to happen? Look at verse 18. Tell them to do good. To be rich in good works. That's what happens as you just make this life, the habit of this life, doing good good, is that eventually you become filthy rich in good works. It's been said that we overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what we can do in five years. And this is the mentality that we ought to come to this topic with. Man, we're so rich in this country, in this area, and I may not be able to make a huge impact in a year, but if I make this the pattern of my life, just planting seeds, planting seeds, planting seeds, I'm going to be rich in good works. 
So here's a question. You unexpectedly receive a gift of money. Here's just an assessment, assessment of our hearts. When that happens to me, I didn't expect it, where does my mind immediately go to? Here's where it has gone to. Oh, man. That would, be, that, that would pay for a sweet table saw. Right? Oh, I could, get a, I could get a pretty cool drone with that amount of money. And this can be the temptation of my heart, that as soon as something is entrusted to me, my mind immediately goes to myself. Now, what this passage wants me to be corrected in is when that happens, man, that is a great opportunity for gospel ministry. That family could really use this, and I could tie in just the gospel. I'm a Christian. There's a church that you could go to, and I could be an excellent witness for Christ using what God has entrusted to me. Do you see how the focus has now shifted? And it's not shifted like this, usually. It's shifted like this. <laughs> right? Because my focus is often myself. And what Paul wants us to see is that a godly focus, one that will allow you to enjoy your wealth to the fullest, is a focus on eternity. He says, be rich in good works and be ready to be generous, to be generous. This is a compound word, and it means this, excel at giving beyond expectation. Excel at giving beyond expectation. There's certain expectations that we have as Christians, right? We're, gonna, we're expected to support the advance of the gospel. We're um, expected to just give regularly, gener generously, sacrificially to our local church. Um, and what Paul is saying is that when we've been entrusted with lots of wealth, what we ought to also have, be on the lookout for are opportunities to go beyond what the Lord expects us to do. Lord, you're expecting me to do this. Um, look at this excellent opportunity. If you would just give and trust to me some of the wealth that I would need, I would love to be a part of that opportunity. Just <clears throat> a desire that wants to be generous. And he says, ready to share. And the idea of this word is a relational aspect, right? Now, when we give to our church, it comes out automatically. We, we do uh, bill pay through our bank, and so it just comes out automatically. We love to just be regular in that. What the temptation of that can, can be is just a, a coldness, right? Is that you're, you're not really invested in what you're giving to. But what Paul is saying here is ready to share. Be ready to be relationally invested in the opportunity that you're taking. So if there's a ministry, you want to be regularly praying for that ministry to be blessed. If there's a person or a missionary, you want to be regularly praying and seeing the updates that are coming through. What's going on in this person's life? How how can I be praying? How can I be um, thinking about how to share in those kind of things? When you have an opportunity with a neighbor, thinking about, okay, how can we develop a relationship with this person so that tied to the money, tied to the wealth, is a witness for Christ? It 
says that's how you enjoy your wealth. But he say, but aren't I supposed to be supporting my family? Aren't I supposed to be providing for my family? Or there's a couple things, right? The answer is obviously yes. And the Lord has given you wealth in order to do that and to enjoy even that responsibility, being faithful with that responsibility. But there's no standard necessarily of where that support goes, right? You're going to have to figure that out with your own family. Um, There's a way to live here faithfully. There's a way to live here faithfully. There's a way to live here uh, faithfully. So you need to figure that out yourself. But the second thing I would say is that, yes, materially, you must support your family. But you also have a specific responsibility before God to lead them spiritually. So here's what I wouldn't want us to do. What I wouldn't want us to do is overemphasize the reality that we need to support our family physically and then forget the, the reality that in the context of wealth, we need to be leading our family as well. See, they could begin to see, man, he provides for us. So look at the names that we're wearing. Look at the car we're driving. Look at the neighborhood that we live in. This is fantastic. And isn't our wealth great? Isn't the amount of money that we have as a family so good? Because that makes us safe. That gives us all these things that we get to enjoy. And do you see where the the heart begins to go? Do you see where the focus begins to develop? Whereas we want to be setting an example for our family of generosity and sharing and realizing this wealth has been given to us by God to steward And so then over here, yeah, great. We have a nice place to live, a a great uh, car to drive and and clothes that are comfortable. And yet, man, the ministry that we get to support, the people that we get to have into our home, the neighbors that we got to know, the people that we've watched on a Sunday be baptized because of our use of the wealth that we have, now isn't God great for giving us this? Isn't God fantastic for how he's allowed us to use our wealth for his glory? That's where we ultimately want to get to. In Acts 14, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 14, we get this great passage in, in verse 17. He says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our... Nope, sorry, that's 13. And yet, and he's um, talking about God here, and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You see, the generosity of God, even when his people are falling away from him, he remains faithfully generous to them. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. Don't neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased when we do that. And then in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, here's what he says. Talking about God, 
who gave himself for us. Right, let me just start in 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Do you want to know the reason that we can live this way? Is because Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has freed us from having a selfish perspective in this life. We've been set free from that. And now we have been given the ability, the privilege of living like God in our generosity. And we will do that if we avoid expected temptation, do a lot of really good things. And thirdly, anticipate future return. Anticipate future return. Verse 19, he says, Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What he's talking about here are eternal rewards. Eternal life that we get to enjoy forever but get to experience and live out even now when we have given our life to Christ, when we obey, when we serve him as an act of worship, that's what it looks like to experience eternal life now. And we do that by doing good, doing a lot of good, being generous, sharing. This is what Paul says. This is how we solidify our wealth. If we want to use our wealth in a way that it's going to be burned up and there's no uh, lasting value to it, then we can have a selfish mentality, we can have a proud mentality, we can look for security, um, uh, satisfaction in our wealth, and when judgment day comes, all that will be wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up, okay? Or we can do a lot of really good things with it. We can be generous, we can share it, we can look for ways to advance the gospel and do good to people, and in that way, we solidify our wealth so that it will actually be waiting for us in eternity. Now, how many of you have used concrete? Yeah, so when you go to Home Depot, it comes in big, heavy bags, lift with your legs, not your back, um, and you'll dump it into a wheelbarrow or some type of container, and it's dusty, uh, it's dry, and it's useless. Until you add the right amount of water. This is exactly the same as our wealth. It's dry, it's dusty, and it's useless until we realize that it can actually be used for the advance of the gospel, the glory of Christ, and the good of our neighbor. And when that is the way that we use it, Paul says, you solidify it for all of eternity because what you're doing is you're using it in a way that's storing up reward and treasure in heaven that's going to be waiting for you after this life. He says, that is the way that you experience life indeed. When your focus is taken off you and put on eternity, that's when you can experience eternal life through Christ. Why? 
Why? And here's why. Because Jesus Christ, who existed for eternity in, uh, in the past, eternity past, at a point in time, gave up all of the wealth of heaven and became a servant on earth. And do you know what happened? He was eternally wealthy, infinitely wealthy, the treasures of heaven, perfect and complete fellowship with God forever. And when he came to earth, the reason was that we were infinitely in debt. We were in debt in sin up to our eyeballs. We were spiritually bankrupt. And he lives that that perfect life, storing up treasure and wealth. And instead of enjoying the riches of that, instead of enjoying the rewards of that, he goes to the cross. And that's where he nails the entirety of our debt. And then when you realize, when we all realize that we are spiritually bankrupt, nothing to offer to God, no way of paying back our debt. You know why you can't pay back? Because the crime has already been committed. We stand before a judge and we say, yeah, but I'm going to be good in the future. He's like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You already committed the crime. You have to pay the penalty. That debt nailed to the cross when we say, Lord, I am spiritually bankrupt. We mourn over our sin. We come to Christ for righteousness. He says, you're going to be filled. You'll be filled with righteousness. How? Because at the moment we exercise faith in what Christ has done on our behalf, the riches that he stored up for us are transferred to our account. We are now filthy rich with Christ. Our debt has been paid. Our, we stand rich before God. And now, when we stand before him on judgment day, how are you getting in? You don't have the money. Yes, yes, I do. Christ, Christ is with me. I'm united to your son. He paid everything for me. He gave me his righteousness. And now instead of seeing your sin, God sees the righteousness of his son. You stand perfect before your judge. You see, when you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt before God, when you realize you have nothing to offer, you are so poor, and you come to Christ, you'll be richer than you, have, you, you could ever imagine. When you realize you're spiritually bankrupt, and come to Christ, you will never genuinely be poor again. But it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you will not come to Christ, you can never be truly rich. We all agree that this life is fragile. We all agree that this life is, is futile. And yet the temptation in our heart is to store up wealth, store up treasure in order to be secure, in order to be safe. 
But what our passage would tell us is, since that is the case, since life is fragile and uncertain, then we shouldn't hoard our wealth thinking it will protect us, but we should make the most of it now since we have been set free from our materialism to do the work that God has established for us to do. You see, when I lose my focus on eternity, then my focus begins to shift to lesser things that can begin to take up my attention, my affection. But what God wants us to understand is that this, this gift of wealth has been given to you by me. And I want you to enjoy it. I want it to bring the most joy in your life. Here's how that will happen. And if you will be faithful, then at the end of this life, there will be eternal rewards waiting for you. So our wealth tempts us to pride and self-reliance, but the reality of its source creates humble reliance on God, our eternal provider. We can be tempted to focus on the comfort, leisure, pleasure our wealth can provide us, but eternity shifts our focus to the wisdom and goodness of personally invested generosity. And our development of an eternal perspective, an eternal focus in the context of our wealth results in our experiencing life as God truly intended for his adopted children to experience. If you're an unbeliever this morning, if you've not given your life to Christ, you no longer have to be in bondage to your wealth. You no longer have to seek your security, your satisfaction in your wealth. Christ can set you free from that, and you can experience riches you've never dreamed of. You can become an actual co-heir with the eternal Son of God. If you're a believer this morning, if you love Christ, God intends for you to enjoy your wealth to the fullest. The most enjoyable use is doing a lot of really good things through personally invested generosity for the advance of the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Alexander Fleming died March 11, 1955. But since that time, penicillin has been used to treat many different bacterial infections. Pneumonia, meningitis, strep throat. For over 70 years, for nearly 70 years, meningitis, or penicillin has saved countless lives. Long after his death, that slight shift in focus has continued to have an incredible impact. This shift in our focus can give us the wisdom to invest in opportunities that God puts in our life now. And who knows for how many hundreds of years after we die, God will continue to use this shift in focus and our faithfulness for his glory and the good of people around us. Could be in heaven, 
Man, 300 years after you died because of how you used your wealth there, the Lord brought the gospel to me, and now we're going to live forever with our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we as beneficiaries of the faithfulness and the glory of Christ can be used as instruments in your hand. Would you give us a focus on eternity that um, makes us committed to supporting the advance of the gospel, that makes us observant to the opportunities with neighbors around us, that you would allow us to use the wealth and that we would hold it not anymore with a, with a tight fist but with an open hand that you would see pleased to use it to bring the message of the gospel to those who need to hear it. And may we rejoice one day, may we even rejoice soon in how you use our wealth, our generosity, our sharing for your glory, redeeming your people. We love you and praise you. Look forward to seeing how you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.